This is Cruise Radio. I cruise a lot and I always sail with travel insurance. You should too. Get a free quote today at tripinsurance.com. Here we go. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. So Mark just returned from an 11-night cruise on Azamara Quest from Azamara Cruises. It was a 11-night Western Mediterranean cruise. It went out of Rome, or Civitavecchia, the port of Rome, and ended in Lisbon. Mark's on the line to talk all about it. How you doing, my friend? Doing great, Doug. Can't wait to hear about this Azamara sailing. It's been a little while since we uh, heard from Azamara, especially out there in the Med. So before we get to the ship itself, we're going to take a step back. What made you want to take this cruise on Azamara? That's real easy. I have been following the cruise industry for quite some time, even before I took a cruise first. So two cruise lines in the luxury sector that I paid close attention to were Crystal and Azamara. And one of the things that struck me about Azamara was their destination immersion. Well, the opportunity came uh, March of last year to put a, a nice deposit down on a very special cruise. And Azamara had a sailing that was Spain intensive. It was supposed to start in Barcelona on May the 11th and then terminate eight nights later in Lisbon. It would hit up five ports in Spain plus Gibraltar and a Spain intensive voyage is something I've always wanted to do. So I put the deposit down and that was that. And uh, 14 months later, things changed radically with the way the cruise started. And I have nothing but praise for what I experienced. Azamar is a fantastic luxury cruise line. Very I cannot cool. recommend it highly enough. Yeah, for sure. Now, I'm excited to talk all about this ship. Did you? Uh, so you live in the Ohio area, and of course you had to make your way over to Europe. Any pre-cruise time over there in Rome before you uh, embarked Azamara Quest? Yes. What we did was we flew. We were supposed to fly through Newark on, on United to get to Rome, but because of bad weather, they uh, United graciously overlooked the contract of carriage, rebooked us through a Chicago O'Hare, and we got to Rome at uh, like 20 after 8 Saturday morning, the day before the cruise. And we hired a driver to take us from the airport to the Courtyard Marriott, which was in the park overlooking the park towards St. Peter's Basilica. It was a lovely hotel with the best breakfast buffet on a hotel I have ever, ever, ever seen. Uh, it's a great place to stay that isn't terribly expensive. Super clean, fun neighborhood. Five-minute walk to the Gamelli train station. One euro fifty takes you from the train station down to the train station by St. Peter's Square. And we walked in. Uh, my son was who I traveled with. He's my cruise buddy. He wanted to see the Swiss guards in their snappy uniforms. Being Swiss, um, you know, it's, it's only young men that, are, that serve in the Swiss military that guard the Holy Father. Mm -hmm. And uh, sure enough, we got to see the, uh, the guards uh, doing their roles. Uh, they took their job seriously. They saw us before we saw them. Let's put oh. it that way. Oh, nice. yeah. <laughs> so we, we, we walked around the Vatican. That was very impressive for about a couple hours. And that was the that was the first day. Then the next day, we uh, had the uh, driver take us to the port. So you make your way down to Chivashevecchia to board Azamara Quest. How was your embarkation down there in Rome? That was an interesting experience. Now, Chivashevecchia port is an old city, and so I really appreciated seeing the old stone walls from fortresses and different things like that. It was a little a little disjointed um, because when you get once you pull into the building that Azamara uses, 
you know, scan the passports before they could let us on the ship. So that was a minor hiccup, first world problems. Uh, but yeah. it, people weren't frustrated. Uh, nobody was nobody was getting antsy, except in, in, a, in a good way to get on board the ship. Sure. Uh, so we were in a suite. So we were among the first to board. About 45 minutes. Yeah. And Asimar Quest is one of those R-class ships. And I think there were like eight of them made back in the day. Correct. And Correct. What, so what were your impressions walking on uh, this ship? And actually, out of all of your travels, have this your first R-class experience? Yes, it sure is. The R-Class, the, the Azamar Quest is the R-7. So it's the second newest of the vessels, which isn't saying a whole lot since they're over 20 years old. Mm-hmm. We board through an outdoor gangway uh, from that particular building in Chevetvecchia onto deck four, I think it is. The ship is beautifully maintained on the inside. Azamara recently, when I say recently, within a few years ago, completely renovated the journey in the quest and then a complete teardown of the pursuit, which they acquired in, I want to say, 2018, 2019. And of course, now there's the new one, the Onward, which is the former Pacific Princess. Mm -hmm. So the ship, when you walk inside, has the signature Azamara look everywhere from the carpets that are that are lush with really interesting patterns, beautiful artwork, soft tones on the walls, interesting sculptures in the stairwell. And it has the feel of an English manor. And that theme is carried throughout in all the different public areas from the lounge in the front to the den, which is where the casino used to be. And the coffee area called Baristas, I think is what it's called, even up to the dine across in the dining room and up in the specialty restaurants. And it even touches of it in in the corridors going to the rooms. So it is a very, very pleasant upscale feel to it. With the like the staterooms on board, is every room a suite? And like, is there a butler with every room in the suites? Yes, the suites are all on floor eight. And then there's a special on two suites on floor nine next to the spa called the spa, the aqua, the, uh, the spa, the spa suites. Mm-hmm. Those are the only ones that have uh, butler service. And those rooms are at about 260 square feet apiece with a sizable balcony. And then they go up from there. Everything else is stateroom, whether interior, ocean view, or balcony. Uh, and those are about the size you'd find on a regular ship, maybe, what, 160, 170 yeah. square feet for the balcony staterooms, and then a very small bathroom. That's the one drawback I'd heard. Again, first world problems. It's a 20-plus-year-old ship. Things were designed a little sure. differently back then, but they did the best they could with what they had. Yeah. Now, so let's talk about your stateroom experience. How was yours throughout this 11-night voyage? Once you've gone sweet with Butler, you really don't want to go backwards. We have room to breathe in there. There's plenty of room to separate the beds. Plus, our butler, very, very gracious fellow, his name was Ayup. He's from Turkey. Uh, he'd been with the company since its inception in 2007. So if anybody knew Azamar, it was him. Wow. They do everything for you. The, the, a butler even looks the part, complete with the tuxedo with tails. And they spot things you might need before you even say something. For example, all sweet guests have a bottle of champagne, not cheap $5 Prosecco or something you find in the gas station, but real brute champagne or something like it in ice waiting for you. Well, to celebrate, I you know, pop the champagne, pour a glass for Michael, pour a glass for myself. I didn't have to say anything, but the butler came back with a special stopper so that that way the the, the champagne could stay fresh. Regularly change the ice in the champagne bucket and also by the mini fridge. He is willing to and able to unpack suitcases if that's what you want, send clothes for cleaning, just about anything you want, even make specialty dining reservations. I believe even 
uh, shoreside excursion reservations, any of those little things that you might think you want or don't know you want, they can do. And that's exactly what Ayub did. I have nothing but praise for the butler. What a wonderful way to travel. With these, uh, like with Azamara, is like the alcohol, the Wi-Fi, gratuities, is all that included with the cruise fare? To a degree, yeah. Um, yes, the I upgraded my Wi-Fi package, which isn't saying much. The uh, One of the negatives on Azamara is that our Wi-Fi is terrible. It has to do with poor internet connectivity to the satellites overhead, but that's something Azamara knows and is addressing. Yes, uh, there is a small alcohol quotient, if you will, built into the fare as well as all the gratuities. But what I did was it was only twenty three ninety five a day. I upgraded to the unlimited drinks package. That's the price of one cocktail down in South Beach. Uh, and for that, to have access to top shelf liquor, mm-hmm. absolutely, I would do that. I made very heavy use of that, both with good wines at the dinner table or, uh, you know, pre-dinner cocktails, after-dinner cocktails, after-after-dinner cocktails, that kind of thing. Nice. Well, let's talk about the dining experience. Uh, and we'll start at the top at the, um, at, like, the buffet area. Uh, I, I'm assuming this ship does have one? It sure does. It's called the Windows Cafe. It's on the back end of deck. I want to say deck 10 and deck nine or no, it's deck nine uh, the floor above us. And it's a small buffet considering the size of the ship, but the choices are outstanding. They uh, set it up for just simple light bites for the uh, embarkation crowd, which was a little disappointing, but during breakfast and lunch, they have a full buffet, both hot and cold options, vegan options. That was probably the best breakfast buffet on any ship I have had. The lunch menu changes regularly. They've, you name it, they have it. They always have something that the executive chef specially prepares, like you might find a steamship round or a roast turkey, that sort of a thing. They also have an ice cream slash gelato station where they rotate the flavors daily. They make their own ice cream and gelatos and sorbets on board on the ship, so they're able to change the flavors out regularly. The desserts you have for the size of that ship, maybe seven or eight different choices, both hot desserts, cold desserts, like mini tarts, mini lemon meringue pies, Napoleons, eclairs, all of the great things you might you would expect to see on a good buffet, just taken up another notch. And then yeah. at dinner time, this is where things really get interesting. The buffet becomes a specialty restaurant that's included in the fair. And every night, the meal focuses on a different country or style of cooking. Like one night might be French, one night might be Indian, one night was Moroccan, one night was Greek, one night was British. Uh, first time I ever had Yorkshire pudding, and that was on the ship. They one night had an Indian buffet, and that was the most lavish Indian spread I have ever seen. They were so proud. They had national dishes and national desserts of India on offer. They even made their own tandoori bread, even though they didn't really have a tandoori oven. They did what they could. So that was the buffet. Nice. That sounds uh, awesome for it being a small little quaint area. They sure, uh, sure pumped out a lot. Oh, it sure did. It yeah. sure did. So that was that was the buffet. Uh, we ate in the main dining room. My rule on whenever I board a vessel for the first time is I always want to eat dinner in the main dining room the first night. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see what the main dining room experience is like. It's a beautiful dining room. The menu changes daily. Now, here's what Azamar does that's fun. They have, like you might find on a Royal Caribbean or a Norwegian main dining room menu, the, you know, the classic favorites, your onions, French onion soup, your strip steak, your escargot. They had all of those, 
but they changed things out on the on the other half of the menu constantly. So you could eat in there and every night it could be something different. Quality was top notch. The chefs truly know what they are doing inside that place. The presentations are like what you find in very upscale fine dining, uh, shoreside or landside, I should say. Nothing in the main dining room disappointed me at all. Nothing whatsoever. Nice. And how do they do their dining schedule, like dining times? Is it any time or? Yep, anytime. Anytime. So okay. whenever you want, you get there. Okay. And uh, a smart person asks for a wake view uh, to try to get a table in the back. My only knock on the dining room, the chairs are a little uncomfortable. So if anyone from Azamar is listening, um, perhaps order different chairs for the main <laughs> dining room. First world problems, I know. But these are the kind of things when you play in the luxury space, comfort something and comfort and attention to detail are things you need to have high in focus. So <laughs> perhaps consider replacing those dining room chairs. How about like uh, food around the pool, like any kind of yeah. burgers, hot dogs, pizza oh, areas or anything? Yes. Now, uh, they don't really have a pizza area like what you find on Princess Cruises. But what they do, they have a grill. They have a poolside grill, which makes a, the best chicken wings I have had at sea. Oh, you must try the chicken wings on Azamar. They do them properly. They do a really good job with the burgers. And they have hot dogs and bratwurst and kebabs and things like that. The only knock on the pool side, somebody needs to push the French fries out of their misery. They do not <laughs> do the French fries well at all. Oh, they were so sad. I've been around uh, wilted lettuce that's less limp than uh, those fries. Wow. <laughs> uh, so something else, the poor folks at Azamara need to change. Um, but that's just such a minor detail. Sure. Every, the burgers are delicious. They're uh, really, really, and the wings are out of this world. Nice. Any specialty dining on here you did? Oh, yes. Now, the specialty dining, there's, as a, in a suite, I have unlimited access to Aquilina, which is the Italian restaurant, and Prime C, which is their steakhouse. Uh, everyone else has to pay $30 a head to eat at one of those restaurants. Now, they also have a chef's table, which varies uh, what they do. Some days it might be Italian style, some day French. We didn't do the chef's table uh, because we had more than enough with the other stuff to enjoy. We went to Aquilina five, count them, five times. Now, here's where the real fun started. The executive chef on Azamar Quest came from Crystal Cruises. He had been there for five years. Well, knowing this, uh, because it was in the, the, the planner, you know, the, you get this lovely welcome to Azamara fold-out insert that describes, you know, who, all about the ship, the itinerary, and all the executive staff. So I knew he was from, uh, he had come from, another very highly thought of uh, cruise line. And I said to him, because uh, he came out to ask how we were enjoying the meal. And, oh, I should add, uh, the food in Aquilina is some of the best Mediterranean slash Italian cooking I have had anywhere on the sea. Wow. And the steakhouse was also quite good. Well, I asked him, I said, can you make the wild mushroom soup in the bread bowl that the former, his former employer was known for making. He got so proud and he said he was, he said, tapped his head. I remember that recipe. Well, word got around the ship among some of the higher officers that the chef was making something special for some of the guests. So the food and beverage manager on the quest came to me uh, when I was walking past deck five and said, is he really making this for you? And he's, oh, yes, he is. And I'm looking so forward to it. Doug, I was not disappointed. I was so blown away by the quality of that soup. And just to keep things interesting, he even made lobster thermidor for Michael and I. Wow. Both, I mean, neither on the menu. 
And the praise I have for Zarko, the executive chef, and Azamara that they would do something like this for uh, just a couple of, you know, schlubs from Ohio, Mm -hmm. I will always praise Azamara for this. They went above and beyond and did something amazing when they created that for us. And uh, I I had to get the word out to um, the various Facebook groups that I'm active in, and a lot of people echoed what I had to say. My hats off to the to Zarko, the executive chef on the Azamara quest for doing what he did. Yeah, it sounds like Crystal's loss is Azamara's gain. In some ways, yes. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but of course, Crystal is another story altogether. That yeah. it looks like Crystal is resurrected, but that's yeah. a conversation for another day. So, yeah. anyhow, the food in the specialty dining was outstanding. They have a fantastic lobster bisque, a very good seafood chowder. The steaks, they'll cook them to order. Some of the items escaped me, but we ate at Prime Sea twice and an Aquilina five times. Very, very attentive service nice. and comfortable chairs. Uh, they don't have to change the chairs out in for the specialty <laughs> dining. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about the entertainment on this 11-night cruise. What did you think of it throughout mm-hmm. your voyage? Okay, uh, we went to see a magic act in the lounge, and that was a little silly. But uh, they, had, uh, they have a troop of onboard dancers that also do the trivia in the morning up there in, in the lounge. There wasn't a whole lot of entertainment because the ships stay in port for so long. They did have something called the As Amazing Evening, which the pre-pandemic would cart everybody off in buses and take to go see something uh, in a port somewhere. That hasn't been returned yet. So what they did while we were in Valencia was they brought in a local troupe to do some special, really funny, but highly entertaining flamenco show. And that was fantastic. Nice. Uh, so the entertainment, for the most part, was the ports that we visited. And that's how Azamara does it. You know, no Broadway shows, but they really mm-hmm. don't have the space for it. Yeah, they do what they do with what they can. You mentioned earlier that um, like one of the spaces is where the casino used to be. Is there no longer a casino That's on right. board? Nope. No, Azamar's four vessels are all casino free. Wow. Um, and the, the reason they did that is it wasn't getting much use. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't open the casino or the or the uh, the shops until you're about 10 miles out to sea. Mm-hmm. And they would stay in port till eight, nine, ten o'clock at night on a regular basis. And there were so few sea days that there was no reason, or I guess it just wasn't a profit center for Azamara. So what they did was they turned it into something called the Den, which is a big, large bar, huge gathering place, lots of books. And that area gets a lot, lot, lot of use. I met some really interesting people in there. Uh, so it was, uh, it was, it worked out fine. I'm not a gambler, so, uh, I didn't really miss it, but, uh, if somebody likes, enjoys the casino, perhaps this is not the cruise line for them. Uh, yeah. but yeah, no casino. So this ship holds just under a thousand people. So how was this, the sea days as far as crowds and congestion? <laughs> what crowds? The ship actually holds 700 guests, wow, okay. uh, 706 to be precise. There were a little over 600 is what the captain told us during the captain's greeting. The Americans were the second most represented group of uh, folks there. The most were the British. The British, for whatever reason, love Azamara. So loads of folks from England and Scotland on the ship. So no, no crowds at all. You didn't have to worry about the deck chair, deck chair problems, uh, plenty of room in the swimming pool, uh, loads of recliners if you wanted one in the sun. So no, no crowd issues whatsoever, which brings up something interesting that happened on day two of the sailing. I was walking down one of the corridors and this guy, this sort of shorter guy with a mustache looked at me and said, I think I know you. And right, behind, right after him came his wife who says, 
I think I know you. And then he looked at me and said, Grace Church, Norton, Ohio. And I said, yes, that's where I used to go. He recognized me from a church I used to attend in the town that I live. And it turns out these folks were from the very next town over. That's crazy. And folks I haven't seen in 15 years on 600 people in the middle of the Mediterranean mm-hmm. and people recognize me. What a small world. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I mean, I think the older we get, Mark, it's like, it seems like these things happen more and more, you know? Really? Really? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was a fun little aside. Yeah. So uh, but no crowds and congestion, not a problem. Nice. None. So you started your cruise. Uh, Rome was the port city, or Civisvecchia mm-hmm. was the port city for Rome, and then you Correct. ended in Lisbon. So let's talk about those ports of call in between. Uh-huh. Okay, first day was a sea day. One thing I forgot to mention, they do a lavish sea day buffet, a brunch buffet in the main dining room on sea days. I have never seen such large shrimp and lobster tails in the main dining room. That was one of the best brunch buffets I've ever, ever witnessed. They have stations for pasta station, eggs benedict station, carve the salmon, you name it. So this is the first day. The first day was a sea day. So that was a lot of fun. The first port day was Palamos, Spain. Palamos is a small little town on Spain's Costa Brava, very close to the French border. It's also very close to where Salvador Dali grew up and had a house. Well, what we didn't do any excursions in that town. We just walked around the promenade. I loved Palamos so much. It reminded me a lot of being in uh, Puerto Vallarta, for example, it's just the way it looked mm-hmm. so much so that I'm thinking I would love to buy a condo there someday. Nice. Uh, it's a, a city of about 15,000 people. So Palamos is beautiful. Uh, so that was the first port day. The second port day was Barcelona. There we took an excursion to the Benedictine Monastery in Montserrat. Uh, the bus takes you through the sprawling city of Barcelona on the uh, what they call an interstate past the Seat car factory. Seat is the uh, Spanish automobile, and then up into this mountain to this giant Benedictine monastery where they venerate a statue of the of the Virgin Mary called the Black Madonna. Uh, so that was very beautiful, gorgeous cathedral, beautiful views from the top of the mountain uh, overlooking towards the ocean, although you really couldn't see it. Uh, so that was what we did in Barcelona. The next day was Valencia. They had shuttle buses that would take you from the port to the center of town that ran every half hour on the half hour. And what we did in Valencia was walk up and down this park that had once been a riverbed that had been reclaimed and turned into a beautiful walking park. And I found a baseball diamond complete with uh, in honor of the L.A. Dodgers. They teach the kids over there in that part of Spain the game of baseball. So that made my American heart very, very proud to see our game there. And um, we also walked around the old town and went into this fortress. So that was beautiful. Uh, Valencia is a beautiful town. It's also the home of paella. Now, the next time I go back to Valencia, I've got to take a paella making class. There's two kinds. There's land-based paella, which is made with chicken, rabbit, and snails. And there's seafood paella, which is made with shrimp and scallops and clams, mussels, that sort of a thing. So those who are, who are a bit of a foodie, Valencia is, your, is where you want to go because that's the birthplace of paella. The next port was Cartagena. Now, Cartagena is the ancient Roman city of Carthage. There's two Carthages. One was in North Africa, and the other one is Cartagena, Spain. And as soon as you port there, you see old fortresses on the hillsides. 
all ringing the city. So, of course, you know, you can't not go into an ancient Roman ruin. And there you see the old amphitheater and some of the, uh, the, the, the oh, what do they call it? The specialized stone piping they used for storing water and fleshing out the floor of the, the amphitheater. Uh, some of the old fortresses. So that was a beautiful, that's a beautiful city. So that's what we did in Cartagena. Walked around, saw some of the old forts. The next port of call was Malaga. Malaga, next to Palamos, is one of the most beautiful cities I have ever had the privilege of visiting. A lovelier town, you will you will be hard pressed to find. It reminded me a lot of San Diego, uh, just the, just in its sheer beauty. Another fortress. Up to the top of the fortress, we walked. Uh, we went past the uh, Picasso Museum. That's there in Malaga. But the line was way too long, so we said, forget this. And we just walked up to uh, into the fortress. That was exhausting, uh, but it was a really good workout. Beautiful views of the port, as well as an enormous bullfighting ring. Up until recently, uh, bullfighting was a thing you saw in Malaga. From what I understand, it's no longer allowed, but they keep the bullfight, bullfighting ring in pristine condition. Uh, so that was Malaga. The next port was Gibraltar. Now, Gibraltar is right there where the strait narrows to about seven miles between the tip of Gibraltar and the tip of the coast of Africa. So when the weather is clear, you've got Morocco staring you in the face when you're there in Gibraltar. So there we took a tour to see some of the old tunnels that the British had constructed up there in the Rock of Gibraltar that were used, oh goodness, let's see, towards the end of the 18th century up through into World War II. And some of them are still in use today. Uh, so the famous rock at Gibraltar, like you see on a Prudential insurance ad, there it is. Uh, that was beautiful. One of the things you see on Gibraltar are Barbary apes. A long time ago, the British had imported monkeys, these particular kinds of macaws, up there. The thought was to use them as a source of food, as, un- as unpleasant as it sounds, but the the monkeys survived, and they're all over the place. And whenever you take the aerial tram up to the top of the rock, there they are. Just be careful because they're cheeky little devils, and they'll, they'll um, help themselves to things like cell phones and sunglasses and bright, shiny objects, and they have a mouthful of teeth. Uh, so forewarned is forearmed. <laughs> that was Gibraltar. Then the ship sailed 60 miles inland up the Kadal Kivir River, I think that's how you pronounce it, into the city of Seville. I didn't really think about it before, but this is when an ocean-growing vessel becomes a river cruise boat. And fresh water behaves so differently than ocean water does. You can feel the wiggles a lot more. People were stopping that were walking on the road or driving would, t- would stop to take pictures of this 600-foot-long cruise ship going up this really narrow river 60 miles inland to the city of Seville. That was one of the most impressive things I'd ever seen. And then just before they get to the Seville port, the ship has to do a complete 180 and back in backwards through a drawbridge before uh, terminating at the port. It's like threading a needle with a 600-foot-long string. It was a really interesting uh, process to watch, and, and I was so honored to be a part of it. We were in Seville for a couple of days. We overnighted two nights there. Seville is gorgeous, but very, very hot. They have this beautiful park in the center of town, which has a special uh, giant half-shaped amphitheater-like building with different 
mosaics representing the different counties or cantons of Spain, if you will. So that was beautiful to see. You saw flamenco dancers doing their thing. Loads of Valencia orange trees, a gorgeous cathedral. So that's what we did. We could only stay, we could only walk around for about two hours before it became just too unbearably hot. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first night we were in Seville, Azamara did their famous white night party. This is uh, an Azamara specialty. What they do, they prepare for the stays in advance. They convert the pool deck to a huge, giant outdoor barbecue and festival place, complete with the house band doing its performances. All of the senior officers on the ship prepare a lavish buffet, including two Weber grills. They bring out poolside uh, on special fireproof mats, and there they grilled um, lamb chops, minute steaks, you know, little little things like that. And they had a pasta making station, lots of different meat choices, both hot and cooled, a salad, a salad station, and a large dessert bar, even a crepe Suzette station. So that was a lot of fun, although it was very, very, very hot. I could only handle one dance on the dance floor. Uh, it, it just was too much, uh, the heat. But otherwise, the, the white night party is a lot of fun. And they call it the white night because everybody's asked to wear nothing but white. So that's what I did. Nice. And uh, it was, it was a, if for nothing else, just to go on the white night party. And from what I understand, nobody does it quite as well as Azamara does. Uh-huh. So early that Wednesday morning, we uh, left Seville, the six-hour uh, journey down the Guadalquivir River, I hope I pronounced it correctly, to the open sea. And that empties into the Atlantic Ocean. And that's when Rock the Boat started. From the tail of the ship, it was going up and down several meters. Uh, my poor son got very seasick. Uh, so that was no fun at all. It didn't bother me in the least, but uh, poor Michael, he didn't handle it very well. So he couldn't partake that evening of any of the meals. That was the last night of the cruise. They did a big chocolate buffet in the den area. So when was the last time you saw one of those on a ship? Yeah. Uh, but they do it. And then the next morning, we docked in Lisbon, had breakfast up in the buffet, and we exited the ship. And that was our cruise. Uh, mm. Nothing but praise. Azamara is a fantastic cruise line. I have never been around such gracious staff all the way from the, the room stewards to the butlers, to the, to the senior officers aboard the ship. Very, very gracious people that love what they do. And it shows. Mark, if you were in, like you were in Seville for two nights, you said, so if you wanted to like stay in, I don't know, like the Marriott downtown Seville, you wanted a little break or just whatever, Mm -hmm. would you be allowed to do that? Yeah. I don't see why not. Okay. How would they know? Right. Um, I, w- I would, you know, I mean, that's why you're there for two nights. So, yeah. I mean, if you wanted to go visit, let's say you had family or friends, you wanted to spend the night crash at their house. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if you let the folks on the ship know, hey, um, I'm going to be out and about in the town. I won't be back until the morning. I don't think they'd have an issue with it. Nobody told us we had curfews where we had to check back in. Gotcha. Did you um, have to pay for the shore excursions or were some included? No, we paid for those. Okay. Uh, it's, it's not like uh, Region 7 Seas or Silver Sea where mm-hmm. a bulk of the excursions are included in. But they were properly priced. Yeah. Uh, and you had something for everybody. If you wanted to rent a car or a driver or a van with, you know, with an English-speaking driver to take you wherever you wanted, you could do that, too. Of course, you get paid through the nose for it, but you could do it. What did you think of, like, and this is a question I get all the time from listeners, um, like the tipping culture over in Europe, like in Spain and throughout Italy. Like, do you find yourself nope. giving a euro or two or how, like, what do you do personally? Like, I, I, I never know what to do. 
It's easy. You don't have to. It's built into the cost of the menu pricing. Okay. Tipping is neither expected nor encouraged. Now, this is a lot should uh, should understand. What make perfect sense to us is not the way things are done over there. For example, when we go to a restaurant, let's say we just want water. We understand that that comes at no cost. Uh, he goes to the fountain and it's tap water. That's not how it's done over in Europe. When they bring you water, it's going to be mineral water, either sparkling mineral water or flat mineral water, and you're charged for it. You're also charged for condiments. That takes a lot of Americans by surprise, Mm -hmm. uh, unless they've been conditioned to expect that sort of thing. Uh, I've been going to Europe back and forth ever since I was a boy, so none of this was new to me. So I knew, oh, the way we do it here in the States is different than it is in, say, Switzerland or Germany or Spain or Italy. Yeah. So no, no worry about the tipping culture. You don't have to. It's built in. I learned the the condiment thing the hard way. I was in Zurich and I was at Burger King about ten years ago, and yep, every yep. ketchup was like a, a fifty cent piece. That's what it cost. I was like, yep. oh, okay. Yep, exactly right. Yep, yeah. It takes people by surprise if they don't know what's there, but that's true. Yeah. We don't. Uh, America's the anomaly there. Yeah, for sure. So uh, disembarkation. You uh, get off the ship, and uh, you mentioned that you kind of you ended in Lisbon. There was it just as easy as that? Like traveling within the EU, I guess. There's no like customs or anything. No, we were out in about five minutes, nice. um, and then uh, we went straight to the airport. So they had shuttle buses that take you from the port through Lisbon to the Lisbon airport. And normally, I would have boarded the plane to fly home. Not this time. Everybody knows when you're on a vacation that long, you need a vacation to recover. So uh, we flew to Zurich and visited family. It was my son. Not only was it my son's first time in, in Europe in general, it was his first time ever heading to Switzerland. So my cousin and her husband met us at the Zurich airport and took us to their house. They live in the small town of Turbental, which is about mm, half hour, 40-ish minutes from Zurich, uh, heading towards the uh, city of Winterthur. And there we spent the night and then visited my uncle who has a, who and his late wife had a chalet up in a Swiss resort called the Flumserbergen. And so we went up to the chalet, we went, did some hiking, had a little picnic lunch prepared for us up there in the Alps. And from that particular vantage point, you could also see into the Alps of Austria. Wow. Uh, so that was, that was a Saturday, that was Friday, I'm sorry. Saturday, uh, we took the train up to the top of the Rigi. Uh, the Rigi is one of those mountains that's known for an impressive panorama. If, of course, it's not covered in clouds. And as sure as shooting, it was covered in clouds when we got to the top of the Riki. But there were breaks in the clouds, and you could see Zugersee down there in the distance, Sierwaldstättersee over there in the other distance. So that was really impressive. Uh, my son, when he was a senior in high school, did a chunk of his senior year in the Swiss school systems. He was a part of what's called the, the gymnasium. And those are the college prep classes. And one thing they did was they did a hike to the top of the Riki, starting at like two or three in the morning and to get to the top and then you know, watch the sunrise over the, over the, over the mountain peaks. It looked like flames. So it's, it's pretty impressive. Nice. So Michael got a chance to go up there and see it, see the Riki for himself. So that was uh, that Saturday. And then Sunday morning, we flew back to the States. So I'm curious, Michael, I'm guessing is probably in his twenties by now, right? Yes. He's okay. 23. So 23. How did someone in their twenties, like how did they take to Azamara and like the Azamara, I guess we'll say Azamara crowd. Just fine. My son is, is, is an extrovert with a capital E. He, uh, he never lacks for making friends wherever he goes. So he right away is starting to kibitz with different people on the ship and got to meet some very interesting people from London. And 
uh, and had some very in-depth conversations about just about everything under the sun. So the fact that it's um, a more seasoned crowd didn't throw him in the least. In fact, I kind of glad that he prefers it that way, because when you're able to have those kind of in-depth conversations, it shows that you're operating on a, on a maturity wavelength of above and beyond his peers typically might, where it's all about where's the next party, where's the next good time. And he and he's thinking much more holistically. There's way more to life than just, um, you know, catching catching a quick thrill here or there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, yeah so he fit in quite well. And as far as Asimar Quest, do you have any first-time tips to offer? Come prepared to know that this is going to be different. If you're used to the experience on a Royal Caribbean or a Norwegian or celebrity or princess ship, it's not going to be the same. It's going to be a smaller vessel. Uh, You're only going to have um, a few hundred people to kibitz with. You're not going to have the big fancy pools or you know, some of the features the larger ships have, but know that the food you are going to be taken care of, weighted on hand and foot, it's a luxury cruise experience. So everything's going to be over the top. The food quality is going to be above and beyond anything you've experienced in any of the other ships. As the cruise evolves, the different options you have are just going to become better and better and better. So come prepared knowing that that's what it's going to be like, and you'll have a marvelous time. Very cool. Looking back on this 11-night cruise, what was the biggest highlight for you and Michael? I would say the, the, the port-intensive nature of it all. I loved seeing little ports that the big ships just simply cannot make it. Very few ships can dock in Palamos, but Azamara can. Almost no ship can sail up the river into Seville, but Azamara can. And those are highlights. That in alone, coupled with the incredible attention to detail that we had and the, and the stellar food, make Azamar a winner over and over again. Nice. I'm trying to think if we, uh, if we missed anything here. If you, uh, if you think I missed anything that we should talk about, let me know, because uh, if not, all I have is uh, we talked about the Wi-Fi. There is no casino on board. We talked about the dining. Yep. I know the ship is uh, over 20 years old. Does it show mm-hmm. its age, though? A little bit. I mean, and you can't help it. I mean, you see that you can see where the the hull has had to had to be primed and repainted because you know of wear and tear. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, when a ship is twenty years old, they were designed. It was designed in the mid nineties, so the staterooms could be bigger. The bathrooms are sure. from on the R class ships in the regular staterooms are notoriously small. And the spa, uh, well, I forgot to mention, we had unlimited access to the thermal suite on the ship. Azamar vessels and the Oceania R-class ships all have thermal suites, but it's limited to a steam room and uh, a large thalassotherapy pool overlooking the back. Uh, No sauna, no concrete loungers or experiential rain showers, but... I mean, those weren't, they hadn't been invented yet. Nobody really thought to put those on the ships at that time. Well, maybe they had, but it just wasn't as common as you see them today. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I hear Azamar is considering our new builds. Carol Cabezas, the uh, CEO, and our tight-lipped about what they what they do have coming. But if you read between the lines, things are in the works. But the size of the vessels uh, lend itself beautifully to going into the small ports of call. And that's where they shine. Awesome. Very good. Well, in closing here, Mark, your final thoughts of Azamara Quest. Can't wait to sail on them again. They're my new favorite line. I want to sail on all four of the Azamara vessels and do some more port intensive voyages like into Greece, all along the fjords of Norway, around uh, Japan, uh, in the Caribbean islands. Uh, they even do around the world cruise now on their, uh, their newest ship, the Onward. Cannot wait to sail them again. Folks, you really want to give Azamara a try. You will not be disappointed. 
We've been talking with Mark about his 11-night cruise on Azamara Quest from Rome down to Lisbon, or over to Lisbon, we'll say. Mark, thank you so much for stopping by, my friend, and always look forward to hearing from you again. Thanks, Doug. A pleasure. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker from my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast, or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.